This is Witches, Bitches, and Dead People with Intuitive Oracle Jamie Hearn. Jamie stirs the cauldron with witches, shamans, healers, psychics, and mediums who bravely share their power and give you insight into what conversations with dead people really look like. It's probably not what you think. Sometimes hilarious, sometimes macabre, and always informative. Hello and welcome back to Witches, Bitches, and Dead People. I'm Jamie Hearn, and today I'm super excited to share some time and space with Courtney Stromsky. Also, her last name is actually Marcusani. I think I got closer to it that time, but I've known Courtney a long time. And, you know, when you know somebody and they get married, like they're still the same teenage girl playing softball that you think you are. So, that's Courtney to, in, to me, but Courtney actually has done really cool stuff in life. So let's talk about some of those things. She's the author of Four Gifts of the Highly Sensitive and developer of the Highly Sensitive Gifts Test. Named the 2017 Hay House Writers Workshop Award winner. Woohoo! Her insights into sensitivity help readers identify their gifts of intuition, empathy, vision, and expression to maximize their potential, while also learning how former trauma may have shaped them. Holy shit, that's like a whole lot of moving parts. She was accepted to the Bigelow Institute of Consciousness Studies International Essay Contest for her original research into the afterlife. Yeah, we love that too. Courtney's health and wellness coaching style focuses on holistic medicine and finding balance while living with sensitivity. Since sensitivity is closely interconnected within the nervous systems and brain functioning, it is not something to get rid of. Good point. <laughs> she is known for her intuitive and empathic style, which emphasizes acceptance learning how sensitivity's silent effects can impact mental, emotional, spiritual health and wellness. Welcome. You are exactly <laughs> what we all need right in this moment. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. You know, I was going to bed last night thinking to myself, God, we got our roots go back a long way. You know, our moms knew each other, worked together at PG. And then I was thinking, did we play ball against one another? You know, because what what conference were you guys in? Did you play Tunkanic? Yeah, we were in the Wyoming Valley Conference. Okay, uh, that's what I was trying to get clear on. I was like, when did we compete against you know each other in softball? I know you played basketball, right? We did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we must have played yeah. each other in basketball. Well, in Dulcie Kittner used to hate to play against me because she always had to guard me. <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing is she's my cousin. First of all, a lot of people don't know right. that we're related. She was a year younger than me. And I think when I was a senior, she might have been a co-captain with me. But I'm actually younger than she is. If you really? can believe that, yeah, because I'm the youngest kid in my class in 92, oh, right. and she's a year older than me. So I saw her birthday yeah. pass on Facebook, and I was like, how can you be younger than me? So anyway, it's all those old small town, you know, connections. Yeah. And I think a totally. lot of people didn't want to play against me, for sure. 
Maybe that's why we we stay we connect now. Like, yeah, we connect because people are afraid of us. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. When that's channeled into its highest good, that becomes a really good thing. You know, with advocacy yeah. and social justice and championing causes, you know, it kind of moves into another realm spiritually. That's kind of how I look at it. Absolutely. And a lot of the work you do really is championing, championing. Yeah, apparently English is championing. not um, championing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, more syllables than I'm able yeah. to. Yeah, you don't need that. <laughs> championing, yes, yes. So I, I want to know about some of the work you do with clients <laughs> when it, integrating the holistic medicine and the spirituality with sensitivity, because sensitivity is not part of the conversation when most people are addressing their health and wellness. No, no, it's not. And you know, when I started out in psychology so long ago, I didn't know that that was going to be my path. I had no idea. You know, I thought I might go into sports psychology, sports performance, you know, these kind of things would be a really good fit for my experience and my, you know, my wheelhouse. But what ended up happening is I went into working in psych and doing clinical counseling and being an advocate for people who were homeless. That's where I got my experience. But it wasn't just people who are homeless. It was doing um, clinical care, actually, in a clinic. And what I found, you know, having a caseload of clients, very difficult clients, was that mental health was just not creative enough. That's kind of where I hit the wall in modern, you know, psychology. And so I backed away from that field and went into holistic medicine to look at alternative ways for treatment, not just psychologically, but integrate the whole mind, body and spirit. Meanwhile, and while I was working in psychology in the traditional setting, right, under the regular medical model, I was having my own unfolding. I didn't know that that's what was happening at the time, but my intuition and my empathy just ramped up huge. And, um, and there was no conversation about it. And so I would ask the other counselors and social workers, what is happening, right? Like what's happening with me? Why am I feeling these feelings? Why am I feeling the feelings of my patients? And nobody would talk about it. And everybody was also kind of like, that's crazy. And you might be experiencing mental illness yourself. <laughs> Which I was like, holy shit. Like, is, mean, this not, is this not normal? Like, why do I feel this way? Why is this expansioning happening? So I actually had to get out of psychology to unravel all that. And that's when I went into the spiritual world and did my own like personal spiritual work for a really long time. Actually. But like, what, what about just that... Pat answer of labeling, oh, you must have a mental health issue. Like, yeah, that's it. Facets. That's it. Crazy. I mean, it's literally like, you're crazy. You know, you're, you're so for me, it was like, for some reason, which I think it has a lot to do with early life experiences, right? You, your perception is shaped a certain way, right? Where you're just tuned in to the world. Um, and insensitivity essentially allows for that, right? It's a psychological, it's a brain, organic brain difference that sensitive people have that allows them to perceive more, okay, more in their environment than other people do and faster. 
And all and along with that, they also have a faster emotional response. And so that's actually clinically called emotional re reactivity. But it looks to other people, right, that you're in the room with, like, you're responding to something that I don't feel, and you also are reacting about it. And you're, it's unusual, <laughs> or strange, or, well, I don't see that. And I don't feel that. So that must mean there's something wrong with you. Right. And so that's where the advocacy piece has come in with my own work is to try to help people understand clinically that this is a very real difference. There have been studies, many studies, and to basically um, work to get it into the field of mental health. That's so huge. because I mean, in my own family, there aren't a lot of us who talk about being sensitive and there are many of us who are. Mm -hmm. And I know that some of those who have forged the path before me just got labeled as crazy. Like there's a, a running joke in my family that my grandfather endowed a room at the state hospital because one of us is always there. Wow. And I wow. mean, the fact is that for a long time, that's just what they did with those of us who were having a different experience than yeah. other people's comfort levels. Yeah. So I can relate to that because I think my dad was the, the, the one of us that was that, you know, the, the difference, but I think that he was able to like compensate, compensate through um, repression. So I think he pushed a lot of it down, but then he and I, my dad and I, he's passed away now. It's been six years, you know, going on seven, but it's been that long. It doesn't feel like it, you know, and I, and I keep his picture in the morning and I look at it and I say, hi dad, you know, cause I really do feel his presence sometimes like through music, through songs that we used to sing or dance together. My sister has the same experience. And so does my mom. Really? So they're like, they're willing to acknowledge, you know, that there's songs that they'll think of him, but I look at it as that's him, right? <laughs> Being present yeah. with me or giving me that little nudge, like you're doing okay. I love you and I miss you. But he and I actually had an experience together, which was really like wicked awesome to use an 80s phrase. <laughs> I had come home and I was coming home from Seattle because I lived at Seattle at the time. And um, I came home for a visit and my mom wanted me to go over and get some corn you know, the farm on 29 Koopas. Yeah. <laughs> so I went to get corn because we were going to have a big 4th of July party for the family. And I don't tell this story very often, but it's 100% absolute truth is that I went to go get the corn and the Koopas didn't have enough. So I grabbed like six years and I was supposed to grab like, you know, two dozen or whatever. So I came back home. But as I was driving, I was thinking about our old house, the one that was on the Stony Mountain Campground Road. Yep. And for some reason, I just kept thinking about that house and that I needed to go there. Now, we hadn't been over to that house for years. And I had never been to that house again with my parents after they built their retirement home up in the Hickory, you know, Nut Grove. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, that's a weird thought. So I come home. I give my mom the corn. I'm like, I know she's going to be upset. <laughs> so she's like, go back over and get more because they were going to go out in the field and pick it. So I'm like, okay, so I go into the, you know, back in the car to go back over to Koopa's and my dad comes out and he's like, going to come with me, which is also odd. So I'm like, <laughs> hey, what's up? And he's like, we need to go to the old house. Okay. And I'm like, that is so weird because I was thinking we need to go over to the old house too. And he's like, that means we need to go now then and not divert. 
except get me a pack of smokes. <laughs> so we stopped at the, you know, at the Davins and got him a pack of smokes and we went over to the old house. And oh my God, Jamie, the weirdest, weirdest experience. Cause the house had been pretty much ready to be like demolished for the most part, but I heard water running. He goes in and he goes into the bathroom to go pee. Right. And I hear water running, like rushing. And I'm like, do you hear that? And he's peeing, right? So he's like, no, I don't hear anything. <laughs> and I'm like, there's water running. Why is there water running? So he comes out and he's like, holy shit, there is water running. And so I open up the sink underneath and there's a pipe broken Gushing. and water is rushing down into the cellar. Okay. Into the rickety old cellar. Now, first of all, all the electricity has been cut off to the house and there's no phone either because they haven't mm -hmm. been living there. Right. So he goes to like go down the stairs to go into the basement and he sees that this sub pump underneath the water is running. And there's like three feet of water. And he's like, I can't get over that pump's running. How's that pump running? And I see him get ready to step into like electrified water, right? Yeah. And I'm like, whoa. I, and I yell at him because he's just fascinated with how this whole thing is processed, you know, working. And he's like, I say, you're smarter than that, you know? And he's like, you're right. And he steps back up the steps to come up out. And I said, how are we going to get that water turned off? And he's like, well, I'll go down to the shop, you know, because he was still partially working and had his rig and all of his equipment down in my grandfather's shop. So he puts on, you know, his waders, his hip waders, and gets a PVC pipe and goes down and shuts the pump off. But that part is a total mystery. Like, we have no idea how the pump was running with no electricity in the house, for one. Right. But then he goes to go down to turn it off. And he says, if you hear me yell or shout out, call 911, right? So I go to get the phone and there's no there's no dial tone because the phone's right. been shut off. And I didn't have a cell phone or anything back then. So I'm just waiting for him to like, ah, <laughs> step in the water, virtually being electrified. And there's nothing I can do. Not that none of that happened. But he did come back up and he said, go get me a beer. And he sat down on the stoop of the house. And I gave it to him and I said, what was that? And he said, it was a good, it was a good decision. And I said, I know, but did you recognize that we both had that feeling? He's like, it happens to me all the time. Oh. And I was like, what? Because I had had this whole thing in Seattle with a fire being prevented, which really opened up my awareness to intuition and empathy. And that's what kind of led me on the path personally, right? To understanding mm -hmm. what a lot of those abilities are. And he's like, well, yeah. And I said, well, how come you've never told me about it? He's like, because I don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, how does it work for you? Because I know how it's been working for me. And he said, well, I'll be out on a job and I'll think, oh, I need to stop at the shop and I'll see somebody, you know, in my mind that might be there and then they're there. And so that's exactly how it works for me. And so I had that validation like you did with your lineage, but it was way long after the fact. And then he never wanted to talk to about it afterwards. Oh. So we never had that ongoing conversation. I used to press him and be like, tell me this, tell me that. And he'd be like, no, I don't want to talk about it. But I did find out that another relative of our family actually worked up in Connecticut for the police department, finding missing people and working for, yeah, working for the PD. So there is this connection between like psychic ability and, you know, dowsing or finding people and being used in a very real way in the world. Yeah. So it's pretty cool, you know, but when you don't know that and you're just grappling around trying to figure it out, it can be pretty um, disconcerting because you're trying to understand who you really are as a person. Right. Well, and 
my family, no one, those who have it are not sure they want it. And those who don't have it want it. So it's really created a schism, like the haves and have nots, nobody wants what they have. (laughs) Yeah, well, and in our family, you know, my mom pretty much like eschewed like traditional religion. She was Methodist and went to the Methodist church, like the whole side of her family, and they still go to the Methodist church and they're Methodist. And my dad's side was Roman Catholic, very strict Roman Catholic. And so there was a schism there, right? Because even when my parents got married, she was not accepted. And so she had to basically sign, you know, her life over to the Catholic church, marrying my dad as a Catholic. And so I think there's another layer there of like conditioning and religious stuff that my dad's whole side of the family. I know there's people on that side of the family that have it, Mm -hmm. but they probably don't talk about it because I don't know if it's not seen as a spiritual gift or if it's looked at as an aberrant, you know, kind of thing. But for us and our family, I think that's an additional layer of like, you know, worry or concern and nobody really openly talks about it. So I just, I don't go there, but I have found out about my dad's uncle and that is another validation Mm -hmm. that it's lineage. So when I did the research for the Bigelow Institute of Consciousness Studies and did interviews with people like us, right, who have had these experiences, they all found uh, lineage. So a lot of this is passed through genetically through a lineage, mostly Irish. The people that I interviewed, a lot of them were Irish, or, you know, there were specific types of lineages that felt more connected to this. Do you see it in any of your kids? Yes. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And I'm very protective, you know, because I experienced when I finally like came out right, <laughs> to a lot of my friends when I was working, you know, clinically, um, you know, I experienced some serious loss, like friendships, actually, because people are like, you need to say that this is God, you know, working through you. And I I didn't know what I believed, like in any kind of religious ideology. I just knew that these experiences were happening. And so when I actually lost friends over it, when I came out, I knew that that was like a concern for my own kids to be aware of. So I openly talk about what's going on, especially if they have intuitive things or pickups, right? Like telepathic things like my dad and I had, I'm like, oh, good, you know, good on you. Or I make it more of a game, light, and funny, um, but they even have their own beliefs. So they don't always believe, right? And they don't have a belief necessarily in God, which surprises me because I'm a big believer in spirit and God. And I'm like the only one in my family that believes in God. So I let them have that, right? And I think, well, to myself, someday they're going to find out, you know, (laughs) like they're going to have a transformative experience and God's going to be, you know, working through them. And um, so I'm protective of them and their belief systems so that they can figure it out themselves and not have any kind of indoctrination on them. I think that's a powerful thing as a parent to provide that space. Yeah. I've been very intentional about not forcing a line with my kid because he's a handful. My, uh, just, oh, yeah. I, got a I double, wonder why. <laughs> I know. I got a double dose of, of a mirror for <laughs> Well, at least you probably didn't do what my mom did to me, because when I was going through my real rebellion, right, which like probably shook the northeastern Pennsylvania quadrant, my mom at one point, because I wouldn't go to a Penn State game with her, she was like, one day you're going to have a daughter and she's going to be just like you, if not worse. And I was like, like at that time, like as a 16 or 15 year old, I knew what it meant that it was like some kind of, you know, uh, sorcery (laughs) that she was working but. 
you know, it turns out that my eldest daughter did actually rebel and, and I did have to go through that as a mother. So if I were you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put that kind of thing on your side, <laughs> you know, cause it'll come back. It'll well, come back. I mean, my, my dad's also gone. And anytime I miss my dad, I just turn to Anthony because he is just like him. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Like, oh. That's interesting. You know how the lineage and the roots come down in the tree and you see, you know, you see your heritage and your ancestors coming through. That's actually pretty neat to see that. It is. It, it, it is. But he is, he's probably more connected spiritually than I am. And I see the coolest things come through him. Like he came to me one day and he was talking about some of the like religious tenets of Catholicism. Wow. I have never exposed him to Catholicism. Like I've always, I'm not really interested in participating in Catholicism. So he said to me, I'm pretty sure this is a past life bleed through. And he was only a teenager when we had this conversation. So it's just fascinating to me to see how all of these pieces are interwoven and coming through him and teaching wow. me so much. So much. And it's so good that you can like stop and honor it, you know, not try to push it away or push it back because that's who he is. And so yeah. that's, I think the biggest part about, especially with sensitivity is that we are so tuned in to the way people feel about us. We'll conform. We're like chameleon-like, especially if, you know, there was a high demand to be a certain way in our childhood. We'll like, we'll conform immediately. Like, what do I need to be in this moment? And you become that. I try not to do that at all with my kids so that they can really be who they really are, their real true self, which through teenager world is like already so difficult with what's right. going on in their development and the social pressure and the internet and taking pictures of themselves. I mean, thank God we didn't have cell phones in the 80s. Right. You know? So there, you know, the fact that you give that to him and honor who he is and not try to change it is a blessing. It's a really big, that's a really big blessing. Well, thank you for acknowledging that. Because I mean, the yeah. best I can do is put in the effort. <laughs> It'll, you like the challenging period will pass. And then once they get into their 20s, there's this whole other level of development as a parent where you're just like, whoa, it's, <laughs> it's mind boggling to see when they're adults and they're adulting and the skills that they have that they, you know, that that's just part of who they are. I mean, it's a big part of you too, because you helped shape that and give them that the abilities that they have. But yeah, my older daughter just blows me away. <laughs> she does. I mean, she's, and she's also got the telepathic same thing. So I'll be driving down the road and I'll be thinking of her, thinking of her, thinking of her. And then it'll be like more powerful thinking of her, thinking of her. And I'm like, okay, I need to call her. Yeah. But then as a parent, I'm like, it's funny because like intrapsychically or spiritually, I'm like, what's my role here? Like, should I be calling? <laughs> you know, should I be stepping in? And then she'll call me and she'll be like, you need to step in. You know, like I'm encountering something that I've never dealt with before and I need your help. And I'm like, okay. Because I try not to overstep as a mom, which is so easy to do, like giving advice or you need to do this, especially as an athlete, you know, you just, you know, what needs to be done sometimes. And you're like, get the, your poop in a group, do this, 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 do it. Right. But they don't want to hear that at a certain stage. And if anything, they'll stiff arm you and give you the Heisman and just be like, no, back yeah. away. This is well, my work to do. And she's like, mom, I can feel you grappling with it. Come <laughs> in. 
she tries to hide shit from me like psychically. She goes into her bathtub and like does the sea salts, you know, which I taught her to do, right? For like cleansing and all that stuff. And she like, she puts out an energetic barrier like, I don't want mom to know. (laughs) (laughs) And so sometimes it's interesting because I'll pick up on her distress, right? Like, or her whatever, and I'm protective. So I want to help her out. But then I'll call in the next couple of days and I'll be like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I got, I got through it. I worked through it. So we're on like a whole nother level, like where my dad and I weren't, Yeah. where that psychic thing happens. And I'm like, okay, I'm tuned in. Am I supposed to step in or not? And right now I just, I just don't, I just try to deal with my own feelings of needing to. And I don't, I let her handle most unless she gives me the hail, the hail Mary. Our exchange goes both ways. Like, Anthony called me one day and I, I, I don't know what was going on in my life. And he goes, are you all right? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. He goes, stop fucking lying to me. What's going yeah. on? And I was like, okay, I know, you know, but it's not your, it's not yours to deal. With. Yeah. Well, and I think that totally is like a, a tonkanic, like Northeastern Pennsylvania thing. Like you don't ask for help, right? Like you, you're hardworking. It's a hardworking class. I mean, our family was really blue collar, hardworking. And it was like, you do the work. So you don't want to ask for help. Or if you ask for help, it might even be seen as like a weakness. Oh, you can't do that yourself. You know, like, mm -mm. so for some reason, like blue collar families have that feeling like you need to carry all that wood on your back yourself. But I've started to shed away some of that belief system now because in, even in our own family, it's like my mom's favorite saying was many hands make light work. So sometimes when I'm just totally like all hands on deck, I will start to ask and be like, I need, I need support because you can't do it all yourself. And that's a myth, you know, that we, you know, in the blue collar world put on ourselves, like that we have to do all the work ourselves. And especially when you start asking spirit for help, it's so much easier when you start to right. say to spirit and start praying, like, I really need your help right now, <laughs> you know? And if, if people think that's, you know, ridiculous, let them, let them, yeah, but the right. results so, are there. Show me. Right. Like, and also then, then, then you go to the next level too, where what is behind the prayer, right? So in my spiritual training, one of the things I learned when I was doing the whole apprenticeship in herbal medicine and spirit medicine and spirit plant spirit medicine it was like what is your agenda behind what you're praying for Mm. it was like this whole other level and that never even occurred to me because I thought prayer was the answer right to spiritual questions or spiritual problems and so when I started to like being taught like discern what your prayer is really praying for then I had to kind of take a step back from prayer and look at okay when somebody's healing are you praying for healing? Are you praying for them to get well? Are you praying for them to not die? I mean, so it gets into this whole thing of like, what is your heart's true prayer and true question? And I think that's where the real magic happens in the alchemy of working with spirit and co-creation. Well, and it's important to be able to separate that from you, from your own personal agenda. Right. That's a learned skill, I think. Yeah. I mean, I just thought, you know, naively way back in the day, that, you know, what you were wishing for or praying for and that outcome was, you know, it was just, it was just true, right? It's, it was altruistic. But when you start looking at people's own soul journeys in their own process, like your prayer might not be actually helping them, even if it's a powerful prayer and spirits responding to it, especially when you start getting into the, some of that death, life and death things and what you're praying for might be what's best for you, but might not be what's best for them. 
And so right. I, you know, I've had to learn that and I'm glad that I was given that knowledge because then your prayers can really be hopefully for the best and highest good, not just yeah, for what absolutely. you want. So I definitely could chat with you all day long. Dude, I, I know. To- I knew I knew it was going to be like power pack, high energy, 20 minutes. <laughs> no reason to take a pee break during this 20 minutes. Um, right. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? Well, I have a website and I have social media. So the best thing to do is go to Inspired Potentials because people can't spell my name. (laughs) And you will find Courtney Strumsky, but it will mostly be at Mesercordia and it's it's sports. It's sports (laughs) memories. So um, Inspired Potentials and I'm on, you know, Twitter. I actually just went and liked your Twitter page. So follow me back. Oh, all right. <laughs> and Facebook, I am on Facebook. But the best way to get a hold of me is just contact me through my website. And you know, I have done when the re- release of the book came out for Hay House, I did like a podcast tour. So a lot of those podcasts are online and people if they're interested in my work, what I do, it's all in those podcasts. I talk about how I discovered the gifts I go into the gifts, what they mean. I have the sensitive test. So if people are curious, if they might have these type of gifts, they can do the sensitive test. And I provide that free online. So you just go through a little process of answering questions. And then I get the results. And then I go through each test, actually, and do the algorithm on every test personally. Yeah, it's not automated. And then I send a note back out to the person who took the test. Yeah. With like little paragraphs, if they haven't bought the book, like little paragraphs about each ability and how you can use it to maximize it in your life. And that's the thing that actually people are the most interested in. What are these things? Do I have it? How can I use it to make decisions and better my life? And so that's where the coaching comes in is working with individuals to really leverage those and maximize them and be who you really are to make that really materializing your life, whatever it is you're working on. So it is a bit of alchemy, but it's through the coaching paradigm. So as a mom, who's a hall of fame coach, I grew up with it. So it was a natural step for me to use coaching as a way to deliver. Absolutely. So we'll, we'll conclude our our interview with a shout out to Chris Dromsky, hall of fame coach, and just all around cool person. Mom, (laughs) love you, mom. She'll have to listen now. (laughs) She does not do technology. So every time I've tried to do something for her, she wants to take it and smash it. (laughs) She's always like five minutes max. Okay, push this, push this. I want to kill it. And I'm like, okay, let's just take a break. You know, let's take, let's back back to that. So I have to be holding it and pushing the button, but yes, she can watch it. I guess people... My sister and I did like a couple of little brief little things on Facebook Live and she hears about it wherever she goes in Titanic now. So she's always like, I want to see the podcasts and, you know, and that's (laughs) like, okay, let me try to pull that up for you. But we'll we'll get it for her. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me and we'll have to circle back around. Thanks, Jamie. It was nice. Thanks for giving me this opportunity to connect with you. It was fun. You're welcome. Peace and badass magic. Thank you for listening to Witches, Bitches, and Dead People with Jamie Hearn. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in. 